our Bible. Those who have the Bible lap, you can turn there and join us, Zion Baptist Church, in the live event. We're in Galatians, one more time, the second chapter, verses 1 to 10. I'll be reading from uh, the New Living Translation. Galatians uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Amen. Looks like we're all there. Then 14 years later, I went back to Jerusalem again, this time with Barnabas and Titus came along too. I went there because God revealed to me that I should go. While I was there, I met privately with those considered to be leaders of the church and shared with them the message I had been preaching to the Gentiles. I wanted to make sure that that we were in agreement. For fear that all my efforts had been wasted and I was running the race for nothing. And they supported me and did not even demand that my companion Titus be circumcised, though he was a Gentile. Even that question came up only because some so-called Christians there, false ones, really who were secretly brought in. They sneaked in to spy on us and take away the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. They wanted to enslave us and force us to follow their Jewish regulations. But we refused to give in to them for a single moment. We wanted to preserve the truth of the gospel message for you. And the leaders of the church had nothing to add to what I was preaching. By the way, their reputation as great leaders made no difference to me, for God has no favorites. Instead, they saw that the gospel to the Gentiles, just as he had given Peter the responsibility of preaching to the Jews, for the same God who worked through Peter as the apostle to the Jews also worked through me as the apostle to the Gentiles. In fact, James, Peter, and John, who are known as pillars of the church, recognized the gift God had given me, and they accepted Barnabas and me as their co-workers. They encouraged us to keep preaching to the Gentiles while they continued their work with the Jews. Their only suggestion was that we keep on helping the poor, which I have always been eager to do. Praise God for his word. You may be seated as you take your seat. If you help me announce the subject matter to you, never tell them unity in the church. Amen, amen. You can tell your other neighbor, tell your other neighbor the same thing. Unity. Amen, amen, amen. Uh, ushers, amen. You may, you may be seated. Amen. Here we are in th- this letter of Galatians. And Paul is furthering on his biography of expression who he is. Uh, we find here uh, that he is in Jerusalem and he said he took him, what, 14 years to get there. But before we get this, look at the moment why he is there. He is there to see, is there unity in this body? He is there because he's been preaching this gospel, and he's hoping that he has not been preaching this gospel in vain. And what it means in vain, that All the work that he has been doing hasn't been undone by somebody else preaching something contrary to what he believes. 
And so here it is that when we think of unity in the church, unity is basically a state of being joined or whole. The gospel brought unity by joining the Gentiles with the Jews through one's faith in Christ Jesus. Can someone say faith? The unity that Paul is emphasizing on is that it's not you keeping the law and traditions and the dietary of of the Jews, but understanding that your faith alone in Christ Jesus is what makes you a Christian. Paul was preaching this gospel, and he wanted to be sure that he, along with other leaders, were in agreement of this great gospel. For this reason, we see behind the scenes in this verse in chapter 2. These verses are very important to us for our history of Christianity. We see Paul early in his ministry seeking to bring unity within the body of Christ. This private meeting shows Paul looking to see are all the leaders in agreement and understanding this gospel. No, it is the leaders he is concerned about. He is aware that some so-called Christians who were misleading the people who calls them, he says, they're not even really Christians. They're some false teachers, those spies who come amongst us. And they they only question came up there while he was in that meeting because those spies got in. Watch out for some spies in your life. Things can be going well in your life and things are going good, but somebody wants to sneak in and start make you start questioning the things that you already believe. You know how to get in here. Is he really faithful? I would be checking his phone while he's gone, putting seeds of doubt and conspiracy in you. Uh, or oh, your boss really doesn't like you. Uh, you could do all the best job, but they don't care. You, you could take the day off. They won't miss you. All these things that they don't like you succeeding. So to put seeds of doubt just to bring you down. Watch out for them. But you see, they did not let them stop them, says they pushed on, holding on to the truth to be unified in this great gospel. But look closely here again. I said this is the background. This is the background. Imagine, imagine if Paul went there with the leaders and he brought Titus with him, who was a Gentile. And they said he can't be here because he's not circumcised. Imagine what would have happened. Imagine that if we lived in a faith that you had to be a Jew in order to become a Christian. Mm. How much trouble would we be in? Because those who grew up Jew already got a strong foundation. Because you understand, by, by, by a youth by the age of 12 already had a lot of stuff memorized. A lot of stuff. When I say a lot of stuff, how about the first five books? They had to recite the Torah. They had to know these things. They had to know over 600 laws. They had to know all the dietary things. Check this out. We know the rules of the law and still fail the test. Aren't you glad when you go to take your driving test, it tells you you can take it up to three times? So you know if I mess up the first time, that's all right. I got two more chances. I got two more chances. I got two more chances. But here, if you're in the law, if you mess up one, oh, that's a wrap. Look what you did. You, you, you just messed up. So here it is. Either I got to take your house or you got to give me half your, 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 uh, your, your sheep or your goats, right? Or somebody got to die. Go look in the law. You're going to find out there's a penalty for every law you break. Or we'd be in trouble. And so here it is that Paul is pointing out that I, I, I am 
commission. I've been called by God. We know he has the authority. He's an apostle. Jesus told him, go and preach this message to the Gentiles. And so there's been, there's a divide, there's a divide coming of this, a schism. There's some people trying to sneak in to the church to bring division because they're not doing the way they want them to do it. (laughs) And Paul says, all right, let me go talk to these leaders. And he says that just because they were leaders had no influence on me. You know why I had no influence? Do you see clearly in the text it says that, that a revelation came to Paul? I mean, God called him to go. So Paul was not in doubt of his ministry, but he was in doubt that division might be hitting the church. Notice clearly in the text, Paul was not going to change what he was preaching. He was trying to get those who were preaching falsely to change. And so Paul wanted to make sure that when he met with Peter and he met with John and he met with James, Jesus' brother, made sure that they were all on the same team. Mm. Here it is that they are there and they found out that, you know what, we're in agreement here. The only ones who are in question are those spies, those people who do not belong here, are the ones causing trouble. Y'all catch that? The only ones that are causing trouble are the ones who don't belong here. Look over in your life and look at some of the trouble you have in your life. And sometimes, oftentimes, trouble came from things that did not belong there. <laughs> it was the wrong friend. You were in the wrong place. Everything was wrong. It did not belong here or you did not belong there. And we can find that in our lives. And so here's a quick thing that you must do. You must do. You must get it out. Paul was trying to get the false things out and hold on to what is true because he wanted the truth to set everybody free because he know these. You see that in the text, the false teachers are coming only to said to make us slaves and remove the liberty we have in Christ. Tell your neighbor, unity brings freedom. Because the unity we have in our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, through this faith gives us free. That's why Jesus says, who the Son sets free. It's free indeed. Where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And so you understand that Paul is saying we have this awesome grace that gives us liberty in this faith. We are not bounded and, 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 and being conformed to traditions and to laws, but it's by God's grace we have been saved. So go back again. Imagine if you had to keep the law. Think about how you would feel. You would feel guilt. You would feel constant shame. You would feel like a monkey was on your back or feeling like there's always somebody looking over your shoulder because you know that you're not keeping the law. Because if you broke one of them, you broke them all. It'd be a hard, hard way. Think about how when people, you know, when they first came out, right, the fuzz busters, where everybody had one, they put it on their dashboard so they could see where the police are. Why? Why did they have to see where the police were? Because they knew they were going to break the law. They already had a plan that, you know what, the speed limit is 35, but I'm going to go 40. And where it's 55, I'm going to go 75. I've already got my mind made up, so therefore, if I have this fuzz buster out here to let me know when the police are coming up, I know how to let off the gas. Don't hit the brakes because I don't want them to see who it's going with speed. And I, I let off the gas, and I slow down back to the regular speed, and I cruise on by saying, yes, he's not going to get me today. But the whole time, even though you have that machine working, you feel guilt, you feel shame, knowing that if you get caught, you're going to get caught, and you're going to suffer the penalty. 
That's the same feeling we have with the law, that no matter what we're doing, we know that there's going to be a time we're going to get caught, we're going to fall short, and we're going to have to suffer the penalty. But when we understand Jesus died on the cross for our sins to set us free from such guilt and such shame, it allows us to no longer walk with our head bowed down, but with our head lifted up, knowing I serve the resurrected Lord and Savior and cast this, I am one with him. Why am I one with him? Because he calls us to be one with him. And so the enemy's trying to bring division, saying that you can work for your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. The, what you can work for is death. The wages of sin is death. That, that, that's, that's, that's what you can work for. You can work hard for the devil and get what he's going to pay you, death. He may give you some other promises, but what's guaranteed he's going to give you is death. Oh, 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 he might make you rich. He might make you popular, but you strong enough going to get death. But Jesus is telling us that I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Jesus says, I am the life and the resurrection. Though you believe me, though you may die, yet you shall live. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And I come to show you where there is life. And so you see here that when we see this gospel, Paul is in these back doors. He is setting the foundation for us to let people know that you don't have to do these things to become a Christian. There's some trouble here in our churches. Think about how we want unity within the church, but yet we have so many denominations for all different reasons. And sometimes we've got to be careful that our denominationism does not separate us. Sometimes we'll say, because you are such and such church, I can't worship with you. I don't want to put anybody on blast, but if you do some research, you'll find out for yourself. There are certain churches that you can come there, but they'll never come there. Because they have a belief that you are going to go to hell because they're the only ones who know how to worship God right. You have those who figure that it's of the devil because you play music in your church. You have those who say you are the devil because you don't have music in your church. I'm not going to give you an name because I don't want you to have a bad look of these people. But you can do the research. You can find out. But this is all just based from their own understanding of the Bible. The same way with the Jews. Their own understanding. Check this out. God made it clear that Jesus was going to come. They knew he was going to come. But they had it all wrong. Sometimes we get things wrong. Sometimes we get things wrong. And for that reason, for that reason, we need grace. Because not one of us here is perfect. Check it out. Even on our best days, we got something that went wrong. But yet God's grace, hallelujah, is everlasting. And so with that, we understand that, okay, God, I, I can't keep the laws. I, I, I mess up on the dietary parts because I, I love that bacon, and now I got to give it up. Somebody, Somebody's with me. Some of us won't be Christians if we have to give up bacon, huh? (laughs) But seriously, we look at that these laws, if I have to keep all this to become a Christian, how would I ever make it? Paul is pointing out, said, see here, he gave a great example. He says, Titus, Titus, he's a Gentile. Now, we know Timothy, right? Timothy was circumcised, but you know why? He was a Jew. Y'all see that, right? 
He did this not to offend the other Jews because he was going to offend his own heritage that he need to understand. This is your heritage. This is what you ought to do. But yet he is a Gentile and he is a Christian, but he does not have to be like a Jew. Oftentimes we hurt the church because we want people to be like us. Oh, you have to have communion on this day. You have to sing these songs. You have to teach or preach this way. It's not the form that hurts us the most, but it's if we change up the message. Paul was not concerned about the form. Say, you can come circumcised, you can come uncircumcised, but the gospel we're going to preach. The gospel message must be the same. That never changes. Think about modern technology has changed a lot of the way we do some things. Think about how uh, the Jetsons was something you would never believe. How are you going to talk to somebody on a screen? Everybody got a phone in their hand doing some FaceTime with some Skype with somebody on the screen. What was it uh, uh, on, on uh, Inspector Gadget? Penny had a phone she could talk on and everything like that. Night Rider had a car to talk back to you. Modern technology has Im- improved some things. But check this out. We still communicate. We still talk. But the devices might change how we give out the information. But we, too, must understand as things change, we may change the way we worship. We may change the way we dress. But the message does not change. Jesus still died on the cross for our sins. He did rise again from the grave on the third day. He is seated at the right hand with all glory and all power in his hand. He has called us to be his witnesses. We are to go out through the power of the Holy Spirit and make disciples, baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is the truth that has been established and that we need to continue to preach and teach no matter who comes against. Now, check this out. You can see the new change in this world, how they're trying to tell you how they want to change the definition of marriage. I'm not going to spend all day on this, but I'm going to say what the Bible says. We must preach and teach the Bible unashamedly and not allow people to make us feel guilty because we don't agree with their traditions or what they believe. But let them know this world going to pass away. Anybody here want to keep trash? We know we're being changed. Paul is preaching a gospel of change. So this unity gives us freedom. It gives us liberty. And so Jesus, when he began his ministry, Luke 4, verse 18, says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the release to the captives and to recover the sight to the blind and to set free those who are oppressed. Aren't you glad that's for you? That he has come to make us free. To make us whole and free us of our captivity. And so Paul is preaching this great gospel. And Peter and the, all the apostles agree and check this out. They now commission and they encourage them. Says, all right, bless you. Y'all go out and help us with this relief to the poor. Now, this, this unity that joined them in a mission. This mission was to give relief to the poor. And here's why this is evident to us in this text. Because Paul was ministering to the, to the Gentiles. The Gentiles oftentimes were Roman citizens and those of that area, and they were not as poor as the Jews. Citizens have more rights and have more privileges than the Jews in the Greco-Roman area. So, therefore, a lot of the Jews were poor. And so, therefore, Paul was in a, what you say, a more affluent ministry with those who have relief. And so that's why Paul was basically saying, don't forget the poor Jews. Check this out. You see it right there in Acts. 
Remember when Jan, uh, Peter is sitting down, they come up to him saying, hey, 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 we're being forgotten. You know, the Hellenized Jews, the Greek-speaking Jews say, hey, hey, we're being marginalized from the other Jews, so help us out. We poor too. <laughs> and so they understood that this ministry was so important that it, it, it compelled them to make a ministry of deacons, of benevolence, of love, of caring out for the poor. Jesus tells us that we ought to look after the poor. He says, my ministry is to the poor. We should realize the gospel message, if one thing and anything so unifies, that we should definitely look out for the Look out for those who are less fortunate. Look out for those who are in need. We should be moved by the compassion of the love of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that if we see a need that we try to meet that need. We try to help out with that need. We don't wait for somebody to call on us. If you see it, go ahead and do it. God will be pleased with that. He wants us to serve and care one for another. This liberty we have in our Lord Jesus frees us from the from the evil passion of this world remember he came to rescue us deliver us from this evil age remember this evil age wants us wants us wants us to be like everybody else in this world it wants us to have the lust of these worlds and desire to have more gold more this more that while christ is telling us that he wants you to be less and be least that the first shall be last and the last shall be first this brings unity. This great unity will set, will set us free in this world to set a great example of who Christ is. And it will bring solidarity. But we still have some work to do, to do today. Because we know as we look on the news, we see there's still a lack of unity. Whether it might be racial, it might be economical, it might be educational. But there's still a divide. And so what must we do? We must show love. Because if we do not show love to our neighbors, how will they know what love looks like? Oh, we know hate when we see hate. But some people don't know what love is. Because the world defines love that if you do good to me, I'll do good to you. But Christ defines love that you give to those who can't even give anything back to you. Oh, love on the Christian understanding and definition involves mercy. It involves grace. Mercy is basically giving, giving something to somebody. Basically to relent or remove. So mercy says, you know what? You deserve this, but I'm going to give you this. Grace is that you don't deserve anything, but I'm going to give you this anyway. <laughs> and so in this time that we live in this world, we go like this. Well, the poor are poor because they're uneducated. They don't have a job and they don't work hard enough. That's a lie. If you look closely, the poor are poor because there's some systematic situations that have been made to make them poor. If we look, why, why is it on one side of the city education is poor and one side education is good? Let's look closely here. Who has new books? Who has new technology? Who has the better facilities? We all know that your environment helps you out in your educational improvement. And so when we look at some things and realize that why is there a divide... There's a, there's a study out there that shows that Peoria, Illinois is the fourth most segregated city in the nation. If you need some help, just look out Sunday morning and see where you go. We understand that there's a divide, yet love brings us together. And tell your neighbor that you have to be proactive. We can't be real. We have to be proactive. We have to initiate 
this. You see, Paul was proactive. He did not wait for them to come. He says, you know what? I need to work this out now before it gets even worse. I, I need to go and talk to the other leaders make sure we're on the same page and make sure that we're unified. And once they became unified, they agreed, said, Paul, don't forget the poor. Paul said, I love serving the poor anyway. And they were all in agreement. Here it is that we find out that we're serving an awesome God. Check this out. You have more in common with our brother and sister in Christ, regardless of ethnicity, than you do to somebody in the world. You can get all day and just give some testimony with somebody talking about how good God is. And you right now will have an instant connection and realizing that regardless of our, our, our economics, our, our cultural, our status, our wealth, our race, we have one thing come the blood of Jesus. The blood that gives me strength. From day to day, it flows <laughs> from the highest mountain and reaches the lowest valley. We understand that it's the blood that brings us together. Aren't you glad that it's the blood that sets you free? Aren't you glad that you've been redeemed and washed by the blood of Jesus? Paul is pointing out to them that you can sacrifice oxen, you can sacrifice turtle doves, you can sacrifice lamb's blood, but that blood just won't do it. Oh, you can call on Moses, you can call on David, you can call on Abraham, but they can't save you. But there's something that happens when we call on the highest name, the name that's above every name, the name that was given to the Son of God. We know God the Father, we know the Holy Spirit, but down came on earth in flesh or form. His name is Jesus. And he is not just Jesus of Nazareth, but he is Jesus the Christ. He is Jesus the Messiah. He is Lord. Oh, hallelujah. He is Lord. And since he is Lord, we must surrender. We must submit. And check this out. If you won't do it now, one day you will, because every knee shall bow every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Oh, glory be to God. It says on earth, uh, in heaven, and uh, below. Oh, that's some unity right there, that they're going to be unified and recognize that the resurrected Lord is Lord. So don't wait till it's too late. Right now, you can surrender. Say, Lord, I surrender to you. And I want to walk in obedience to your will. In obedience, you will. I will look after the poor. I will look after my brother and sister in Christ. I will pray for them. I will encourage them. Look over your life and realize how the enemy's trying to sneak into you. How he has spies in your life. He has false friends in your life. They're not really concerned about your well-being. They speak well of you. They ask you how your children are and then forget their names. They ask you where you work and ask you again the next time they meet you. They're not really concerned trying to know who you are. They say they know you, but they misspell your name every, every time they write you. They sneak in. They're not really concerned about you. They, they want you to give something back to them, but they have nothing to give to you but lies and schemes of the enemy. They put filth and dirt in your mind. They put skepticism in your mind. They put doubt of God in your mind. They try to make you feel like there's nothing else. They want you to feel hopeless, but I want you to know that there is hope. Mm. 
you would be hopeless if you had to keep the laws in order to be saved. That's why they were waiting for the Messiah. They were waiting for him to come. They says, when's he going to come, Lord? Send him now. He is here. Hope is here. I close you with this story. When you think about hope, we oftentimes can compare it to light. And oftentimes when people are lost, they compare that to darkness. Oh, it was a dark time. It was a gloomy time. It was a hard time. But yet, check this out, the terminology we use when help comes away, my night in shining armor. Why is it night in shining armor? There must be some light there somewhere. Mm-mm. I was lost, but I saw the light. Mm. Every time we look to hope of salvation and rescue and there's light images involved in it. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. (laughs) And he's come to give us this light. And so tell anybody you meet that when they have their head down and they're feeling oppressed and they feel that they just can't make it, let them know you can't make it. But look up, there's light. (laughs) Look up, there's light. And as long as you know that there's light, know there's something to work forward to. As long as you know that there's light, there's something that you can reach out towards to. And, and check this out, check this out, that you don't have to reach out for the light thinking that you have to reach to get it. Light will come to you. Oh, thank you, Lord, for your light. Think about how our sunlight, right, reaches the world. From a far distant place, it can give enough energy to power a city. Power a home, power a car, power a plane, power a ship. The sun can do that. From a far off place, it can generate enough power that it can do all those things. Yet, that was artificial light. Because there's going to be a day that there'll be no more sun and no more moon because God will be our light. And it'll be all the light that we need. So understand this today, that you don't have to worry about what the world is trying to give you and divide you about. Just stand on the word of God. Stand on his promises. Stand on his truth. And know that the Lord is my light and my salvation. The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I fear? No, he is the way, the truth, and the light. What I'm trying to point out that he is light and he is light. He gives us light and he gives us light. The world wants to give you darkness and death. He can give us life and peace. And we have the unity in the gospel of Jesus. So I encourage you to go tell somebody else that's down and out, that thing I just can't make it. I'm, I'm about to throw in the towel to, to let them know that Jesus died that you might live. He died so that you can get up every morning. He died so that you can understand that you have a life, not here, but over in glory. Good day now, Zion, but may the Lord bless you real good. But I want you to know that on your way home, you ought to testify that this is not my home. I got a home over 
in glory. Over in glory, he's going to bring me home. Oh, glory for his grace. I can't make it on my own, but he paved the way. And it was the cross, at the cross, at the cross. I first saw the light. So there's unity in this gospel to unify the church, to unify us with Christ, and to bring unity in this community. And we do it on the power of his love, his grace, and his mercy. Let's turn, Lord, we come. We come, O God, surrendering to you.